Genesis chapter one or chapter twenty-two. We'll read all the way from verse one through nine, and then we'll get into the rest of the story. <clears throat> the writer says, "After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am.' He answered." Take your son, this is God speaking, take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains, on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took, him, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and he set out to go to this place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on, his, laid it on with his son Isaac. All right, so Isaac is carrying the wood. And in his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Now we'll go to verse 10, actually. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. And we'll leave it on that cliffhanger for right now. So again, this is a test that God has provided. So look at the outline. You've looked at the first point. Is God gives you the test instructions. So verses 1 through 3, right? this is what God is telling you. He's setting up a test. Just like in school, you would, the teacher would say, okay, remember tomorrow we're having a quiz covering chapters you know, 5 through 6 in the book, whatever. Make sure you study. Right? We know it's coming. And so in the last chapter, though, we, we, we got this story and the last several chapters from like chapter 12 on to chapter 21 have been building and building and building for Isaac to be born. Right? He's being promised this kid and everything else. And you know, 20 years or so goes by. No kid, no kid, no kid. Then all of a sudden we get this build up. But then it's like Isaac is born. They have a party. Yay. Done. Move on. It's like, what, what's up with that? Right? What, what, what kind of storytelling is that? You just get to that and that's it? But here, we get all these details, right? It's, it's like drawn out for us. And we have some repetition here. It's important as well. Because this chapter here, he's drawing this out and he's retelling it. And it seems like, come on, man, just get to it. We'll get it. Just climb the mountain and go. Do it. But God is testing Abraham. And when we're looking at it, because if you're a teacher and you look at kids, you're like, okay, if you look in your grade book and the, and the kid has a 65 and a 70 and a 70 and a 70 and a 70, you're like, okay, here's another test. He's probably going to get a 70. But then he gets a 100. You're like, wait, what happened? What just happened here? Right? Because if you're looking at it back through, through Abraham's history that we have in, in Genesis, we're like, well, he did okay here and he kind of failed here. He failed here. He did okay here. Right? Kind of up and down. <clears throat> we see this like, uh-oh. This test is probably not going to go well. Abraham's going to be, do something to get out of this, or he's going to fail this test. Like, oh my gosh. Right? We know, now, we know, the, we know the stories, but at the same time, you've got to put yourself in the context of this story being told through the ages of people who kind of don't know. But God says, take your son Isaac. Now listen, your only son. 
Right? He says this, take your son Isaac, your only son, right? Why is he his only son now? Because Ishmael is gone. He left the picture in chapter 21. Him and Hagar went off to Egypt, and that's where they lived. So he's his only son now. You know the one you love? Right? He says this, the one you love. And give him as a burnt offering to me. That is the test. The kid you've been waiting for for decades, take him up to the mountain and give him as a burnt offering. Give him as a sacrifice. He's very specific about this test. Travel to a place, which I will tell you about later. But here's the test. I want you to take your son, whom you love, whom your only son is, the one you've waited for years, and give him up as an offering. This is the pass-fail criteria. Just like you know, okay, I need to get a 70 to pass this test. Or I need to get a 70, and I need to get a 90 in this test so I can pass the class. Right? Sometimes we're all, we've all been there probably with us, some classes like, okay, if I just get a 100 here, I'll pass the class with a C, I don't care. But look at the wording used in this Old Testament that sounds so very familiar to our New Testament ears. Your son whom you love, your only son. What does it sound like? John 3.16. God gave his only son, the one he loved, for you. So here we have this foreshadowing all the way, you know, thousands of years before Jesus shows up. We have this type of what, of what Jesus is, coming, is, is going to look like. And so if you're looking to hate God, it's easy to pass over these details because you don't know and you're not making these connections to the whole Bible, to the entire story. But once you have that information, you're like, oh, he's saying the same thing in Genesis 22 as he says in John 3. Right? And Paul repeats the same, the same gospel story, everything else. That's what the good news is. And even Abraham knows this, that God himself is going to provide. Right? Listen to the language he says. He says, we're going to come back. Right? He tells you, you, you servants, you two stay here. We're going to go up there and worship and we'll be, we will be back. There's some certainty in that. He has somehow learned to trust God all of a sudden. And so here's the application that God makes the test easy with the teaching you everything you need to know. Everything you need to know is in the book. Because everything else is just some variation of the circumstance that you can probably find in here anyway. But it's pretty easy. You just trust God. Trust and obey. There is no other way. And it's not just to be blind, a blind trust, but it's to look at God and say, okay, God, you got this. You promised me that I'll be the father of nations. And so I know you're not going to take away Isaac now because he's a part of the plan. And if we understand that, life gets easier. Right? Because when you're in school, almost everything you learn in class is testable. So you don't know what's going to be on the test, but you know there's going to be things that keep coming up. Right? Sometimes we call it foot stomping. Right? You pound the board a little bit like, this is important. Circle it. Put a star on it. Like, I actually did one time I taught, I, I did a review in the morning of the test, and I almost basically asked test questions, essentially. But I went over stuff because I knew it was stuff that people miss. So it wasn't like I was just giving them the answers, but I went over it because actually one of the students, after we took the test and did the review, somebody actually said, he asked that question right before the test. All right, so here I am helping, again, not just giving them answers, but helping them out, but they're so freaked out they don't know what's what. But it's important we calm down and look at it and go, okay, what are you trying to teach me? What keeps coming up that's important? 
the same things keep coming up to help us reinforce it. So I saw a quote yesterday about leaders who over or under communicate, and it said that when you are saying things and they start sounding repetitive, that's when it starts to land with the people. So if you keep saying the same message over and over and over again, it's like, okay, I get it, I get it. Fine. Okay, it's sinking in now. So I we hear the, hear the gospel message every single sermon because we need to hear it over and over and over again to reinforce it. So what is the important information that God wants us to know? God loves His people. God loves His people, right? So much so that He gave His only, one and only Son. And then God keeps His word. These two ideas work in the positive and the negative. God keeps His word about His love, and God keeps His word about the consequences if you do not love Him, if you do not show these things that would be obedient back. Right? We know that God's wrath is just as much as God's love. God shows Abraham an immense amount of grace, and He shows us the same amount of grace. Because we know, well, we know their consequences. We see Israel and Judah get exiled, right? The tribes, they get exiled. But then they're brought back to the promised land later because everything is essentially fixed. And when you're going around this life, God is going to lead you to these test locations as well. And so he gives us this idea. And so the end of verse 3 works a little bit like a transition because they're setting off to the location finally. They're kind of, they were going on their way and they're getting closer now. And so they know. And it says, he set out to go to the place God had told him about. And so verse 4 says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. <clears throat> so again, going back to the New Testament, listen to it on the third day. What happened on the third day for us as Christians that makes a big deal? The resurrection. So on the third day, they're getting to this place. And the place they go is Mount Moriah. So Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is. It's in Jerusalem. That is where the temple is built. That's where the Dome of the Rock is also there. So that area right there, that is Mount Moriah. Golgoth Hill, Golgotha is close to that location as well. So you see all these things being tied together. So this, that's, why, that's why Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount area, is so important because also the Dome of the Rock is, is there because that's supposedly where Abraham ascended to heaven. So that's why the Muslims keep that, that dome on there. That's, that's what's under that dome. So that's the kind of that's the significance of this place that will be Jerusalem later, and depending on if, if it's already a city or not, it's not like there's nothing there yet. But it becomes Jerusalem later, and we see Mount Moriah pop up several times. And again, that's where Solomon builds the first temple. That's where the temple gets expanded. All this other stuff. But again, if you're reading this story pre-cross, the three days just sounds like a marker. But again, on this side of the resurrection, three days has a whole other meaning. But again, the servants are told to stay back. Abraham, Isaac, hey, I'm going to come back. Because God is tr Abraham is trusting what God tells him. Offer up Isaac. But again, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be the father of nations. I've already been through this. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe I just need to trust God. Abraham maybe is getting a handle on this idea. Maybe he's not going to fail this test all of a sudden because now he knows when God says something, he means it. But after all, he already gave him Isaac. And he took care of Ishmael as well, right? We know that he took care of Ishmael, so it's no big deal. He's like, all right, God's got this stuff handled. I don't need to stress about it. And again, we hear the certainty in his voice. And he says, we'll be back. 
And Isaac hasn't been in the background so far, but in verse 7 he says, Hey, Dad. Abraham's like, Here I am. He's like, we, don't, we have all this stuff, right? We got the wood, we got everything else, but we don't have an offering. He's probably like, well, how do I tell this to him? Right, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He says it again, verse 8. But then we see in verse 9 and 10, him be, Isaac being roped up, bound up, and thrown up onto the altar. Probably not what Isaac had in mind on the way up there. And Isaac is completely quiet, so it's, it's hard to, to try to say, oh, look, he's being just like Jesus and being quiet, but at the same time, there may be some more foreshadowing in this as well. Right? It doesn't say, so it's hard to say for sure without putting just stuff in that we, we want to. But we don't get a lot from Isaac other than that little statement right there. But there's a few things that we can learn because Abraham has to put his kid up on this altar. So there's a few things we can learn from him. So one is always trust God even when you can't see what's in front of you. Right? Always trust God no matter what. And then keep obeying even when it's hard to do this. All right, so I don't know, have you guys ever seen the movie Facing the Giants? So it's uh, the Kendrick brothers, the guy who did, like, they, they, they get the brothers who did um, Fireproof, and, uh, like, their first movie was Flywheel, so I think Facing the Giants was, like, their second or third movie. So, yeah, they're from Georgia, uh, Albany, Georgia. Um, they also done War Room and a couple other ones, right? They're Christian movies. So Facing the Giants is a, is a football movie. Um, and it's a little, little Christian school, has a football team. They end up, like, going to the... Um, the state championship, whatever it is. So anyway, they're doing practice, and the one scene is called a death crawl scene. And you can look it up on YouTube. I don't want to play it because it's copyrighted probably, and it's like five minutes long. But anyway, they usually do a thing called a death crawl. So one person gets down on all fours, they have another person on their back holding on, and they have to do like a bear crawl across the field as far as they can. So the one coach, he takes one of the main leaders of the team, blindfolds him, it has him get down and has him do it, and he has him. He keeps encouraging him, encouraging him, encouraging him. So by by the end of this death crawl, he has crawled. He has done hundred yards, when usually twenty yards or so is about it. And so we see the same thing where he couldn't see where he was going. He was just listening to the voice telling him to keep going. And it was hard because he had a you know one hundred and fifty pound kid on his back. And he had to do this. And so it's the same thing with us. We have to keep going. We have to keep listening to God's voice, even though we can't see what's going on. And so we have to keep obeying. And again, that's hard because we see things like, I don't want to go that way. Because right? just blindly obeying our GPS is sometimes dangerous because there's been people who've just run off the road, run the lakes, things like that, because it says, keep driving. It's like, well, I see the lake, but you should turn. No, I'm listening to the GPS. Right, but the G God is above the GPS. He's not faulty. But Abraham did both of these things. He trusted God. He kept obeying when God told him to leave his home of Ur. Right. So back at the very beginning of this, chapter eleven, chapter twelve, he said, "God, or God said, Abraham, move. I want you to move from Ur to Canaan, six hundred mile trip, roughly. Right. Go. Okay. He stumbles in between." But here where this test, this final test basically really counts, Abraham aces the final. It's a lot like our Christ Christian journey. That's what this whole series is about. It's a journey. That's why 
you know, they could have painted Abraham with just this story, but like, look how awesome he is, without telling us the rest of the stuff where he failed and fall, fell. But they kept it all in there. You know, warts and all, that's just like us. We have the same types of journeys. We are up and down. Sometimes we do good, sometimes we do bad on tests. But imagine how hard it was for Abraham to put Isaac up on the altar. Imagine that. But he's not done yet. And so when we want to take the test, all we want to know is the answer, but we, you know, preferably before you have to take the test, but, but we know sometimes we have to wait until after. But, but God provides the answers no matter what. And so this is the story's building moment. What's going to happen? In verse 10 it says, Abraham raises the knife. He's getting ready to do it. And then a voice from heaven, the, the angel of the Lord cries out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds again, here I am. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, he's like, here I am. Thank you for not doing that. Like, I'm waiting. I'm going to wait as long as I need to before this thing happens. And you can almost hear the relief in his voice when he says it. Like, here I am. Woo, man, I did not want to do that. And the angel says, stop. Now I, know you, now I know you fear God, right? You have passed the test. And they looked over. There was a ram caught in a thicket or the, like a bush that was provided for the sacrifice. And so here's the theology of it for this, is, is this, this kind of wrapping this up. So Abraham's devotion, right, was you have not withheld me, withheld me for, from me, your son, your only son, is paralleled by God's love to us in Christ, as reflected in John 3.16 and Romans 8.32, which may allude to this verse, actually, because if you, again, if you go through Romans, there's a lot of Genesis, especially the Abraham story, in this, in that. And then symbolically, listen, Abraham receives Isaac back from death, which typifies Christ's resurrection from the death on the cross, right? Again, remember, this is the third day. This is the third day, so Isaac is essentially resurrected from the, de from the altar, from the cross, essentially, if you want to look at the altar that way. So here's the application. When God calls your name, respond to it. God says, Darren, but yes, here I am. Yes, what? Yes, God, what can I help you with? Yo, Jerry, yes, what? You know, and it's not always going to be, like, what? That was God. Sometimes it's just something small, little, whatever, right? It's not always just big, booming voice, but sometimes it is. Sorry, I didn't mean to escape. See, that would be nice if everything was like that, right? Like, okay, yes, I got it. You're telling me you're talking to me. But other times it's people, things you've been praying about, people come to you and say the same things you prayed about this morning or yesterday or whatever it was. Like, oh, wait, did you, were you listening to me? Were you standing by my window listening to what I was praying about? And now you're just talking about it? Well, no, God probably sent that person to you to tell you the same thing. Abraham was in a covenant already with God, but he still has to take tests, right? Our life doesn't get any easier because we become Christians, and in fact, a lot of times it gets more difficult because now, really, we're aware of the tests. When you're ignorant of what's going on, you don't care. But now when you're looking and going, okay, this is something important, it takes a whole new meaning. But it's always nice when you get an A+, plus, you see that on your thing, you get a smiley face or a, the gold star when we take the test and, because we know that we have passed the test. And that's what it is when we respond. We have that, that, that calm about it. We know that we're, what we're doing is because of God.
And so when we pass the test and we get through it, God gives us rewards. And so beyond getting Isaac back, which is probably the best reward, right? Abraham gets some other rewards. So this last section is kind of broken up into two chunks, verses 15 through 19 and then 20 through 24. There's two chunks here. And so the one, 15 through 19, is pretty straightforward. You know, God's like, hey, good job. Um, I'm going to renew the covenant with you. You are definitely the father of nations. I, I will indeed bless you and make your, your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. And all of the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Why are all the nations blessed through that? Because Jesus is, his, is the offspring that will bless all the nations. Right? Jesus is the one who blesses all the nations of this. So he reinforces this idea. And again, God knew what Abraham would do. God is not setting Abraham up, Abraham up for failure and just coming into the last minute to save him and save Isaac, right? He knew that Abraham would do it. He knew Abraham was in the right spot. Like, okay, lesson's concluded. I know what he's going to do. I just got to do it just to do it. So I want to make sure that we don't think that God is just some evil, sadistic person who just goes around making impossible choices for us. Or tests. Because he's not. Because again, that's what the world likes to think. If they're mad at God, that's what they like to think. That he's just this evil person who, why would you worship him? Because he knows Abraham already was going to pass. He knows your heart. So he knows when you fail. And that's comforting because he's, like, he's letting you happen. He's letting you do it. But he knows, one, he'll be there to pick up the pieces. And he'll, he's there to encourage you and everything else. And then when you take the retest it's easier to, to pass. But then we get to verses 20 and 24, and it's like a, it's like a lineage. And say, wait, why is my reward my brother gets to have more kids than me? Because really, verse 20 says, Now after these things, Abraham was told, Milcah has also born sons of your brother Nahor. Well, good job for you. Right? Who is his firstborn? His brother Buzz, Kimmel, the father of Aram. You know, the names go on and on. And you're like, what is this? Like, what kind of reward is this? Okay, your family increases. So maybe that's one thing. They're already starting on the blessings because people are kind of related. But then we get to the one part. And it says, Bethel fathered Rebekah. Right, Bethel fathered Rebekah. And that is the important part because that name is important. Because she is Isaac's future wife. So here we have... Just like the end of chapter 21 where it said uh, Ishmael, or in the middle part of chapter 21, it said Ishmael got married and had kids and da da da, da. Here we have the same thing for Isaac. So we have both of his kids having, going to have wives. And so this is why it's important we don't just, when we see a bunch of names that we can't pronounce, we don't just pass over it because there's a little nugget in there. And, I, and again, I had to go through like, what is this? Because when I do the outlines, I'm going, oh, this is easy, this is easy, this is easy. What is it? What am I doing with this? And you have to read it and dig into it a little bit and go, well, who's important here to the whole story for later? Right, so that's a little tidbit of how if you're reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, whatever, you, get to, you, you figure that out. And it's a little bit buried, but it's important because they, they give the whole lineage. But that's quite the reward. But what's our reward? What do we get? So we get other things too. We get blessings and things like that from when we obey God. But here's the bigger blessing is that Isaac's grandchildren are the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? So Joseph, Manasseh, Reuben, 
Judah, all the, all the kids. You know, those are the twelve tribes. And so one of those tribes, again, is Judah, from which the Messiah is born. And He is the reward that, the reward that we don't deserve. He is the complete obedient Son of God. They went up to, he went up to the mountain, to the altar, to the cross, willingly. Right? And again, Golgotha, where it happened, is fairly close, or right outside, they think, of where the temple is, where Golgotha is. If you kind of look on the map, it's fairly close. It's outside the old city wall, but that's where they think it was. He laid down his life willingly without saying anything. And he was then resurrected by the Father on the third day, beating death back. And all of this was done to cleanse us from our sins. Right? He paid our debts for us. The stuff that we could not pay, we are impossible of making it right with God. So God paid himself back. And so we're, more like, we're a lot more like Abraham, which again is reassuring because he, here he is doing these things and he's blessed. And we know we can pass the test because he did. And we know we have the answer key, which, right, the key to any good Baptist Sunday school answer, if you don't know, if you don't, what do you yell at if you don't know what the answer is if you get asked a question? Jesus. Right, if you're in Sunday school, what's the answer to the question? Jesus. So if you don't know the answer, ask for Jesus. Say Jesus. Pray about Jesus. Pray to Jesus. He'll, he'll get it to you. Because he passed the test for us. But we still have to take the test. But we still have to take the test. And so, but again, we have the answers in our back pocket. We are guaranteed blessings because of the blood of Christ. The faith we have been given helps us rely on God when we don't know where we're being sent. We are blindfolded, essentially. But we are listening to His voice, and we can be confident that He is the one going to get us to the right spot at the right time. Because all this stuff works together just like He did already. And so as we go out this week, if you're facing tests, pray. Trust God. Obey Him. Wait. Then act when one needs to act. Alright, so let's go ahead and transition. We'll do our last few songs.